0: to last sermon in this series called Life in the Church. Next week, uh, Pastor Jim Ulam will will round everything out and he'll talk to us about communion and baptism and their significance, and I'm really looking forward to that. I hope that you will be here, plan on being here next Sunday. Last week, we talked about the fact that healthy Christians aren't here to parade around all of their achievements, wear their fancy little badges and show off how experienced they are and how much knowledge they have and how spiritually superior they are to all the rest of you, right? That's not why Christians are here. We're here because we know we need to be discipled. We know That we're only here by the grace of God. Christ has done a work inside of us and He's began transforming us from the inside out. And He promised to bring that work to completion. But part of our part in our own discipleship is coming and being part of a local body like this where we can pour into others and help them grow in the knowledge and love of Christ. And in turn, they can pour into us and help us grow. We said last week that we come to church because we know that we need discipline. Discipline is not a word that we like to hear, especially when it's directed towards us. But if we look at discipline in terms of being discipled, it's all about growing in the discipline of what it means to look like Jesus. And so we come to be formed in discipline, that we might look at his word and learn from it and grow. That's actually part of discipline. But then there's the other side of discipline, right? The part that we really don't like, that corrective discipline. There will be times when, because we're here as a church family, pouring into each other's lives, times where we'll have to come alongside each other and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, the direction you're going is not really in line with what I see Scripture telling us. I think you really need to make a change here. And that can hurt sometimes. It can be difficult to take. And yet, because we know that God disciplines us as a loving father, as Luke actually mentioned in a prayer just a few minutes ago, we know that is good for us. And so healthy Christians, they even look at that corrective discipline as a gift from God. This is the way a loving father helps his children become more like Jesus. It's such a good thing. Healthy Christians are here to be discipled. But what does it look like to be a disciple? What do they do? A cartoonist once said, some people would do anything to do nothing. That's kind of true, isn't it? I think back to my college days, and Then was, oh, the first day of the semester, I was excited to go to school. And I wasn't excited because of all the work I was going to have to do, but I was excited because I was going to meet new people and I'd sit down in the class and I'd be looking around like, where is Mrs. Burke? <laughs> Maybe she's in this class. It was exciting and I had a, full of possibilities, right? But then the professor would just ruin everything as he starts passing out this syllabus. And, I'd, and look at this thing and it was like, just like 10 pages long, front and back, 8 point font, single spaced, all of this work that I was going to have to do. Why does he have to ruin it? Doesn't he realize I'm here to meet girls? Come on. Sometimes the Christian life can be like that. We look at the things that we're called to do and we just go, Ah, really? Do I have to do this stuff? Can't can't I just love Jesus and live a normal life? Life's hard enough, isn't it? I think that Jesus realized that we are often easily overwhelmed And I think as he was giving this great commission to us in Matthew 28, that he takes that into consideration. And he speaks to that in us when he gives his commission to us. What do Jesus' disciples do? What should they do? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to read through verse 16 to verse 20 together. And would you grab your Bibles and would you stand with me as we read from God's word this morning? Again, it's Matthew 28, and we'll begin in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him What do disciples of Jesus need to do? Notice I'm I'm not saying what are they called to do, because there is a very specific call that disciples have in this passage, but there's more to that. There's more that they actually need to do, and I want to tease that out this morning. First thing is this, disciples of Jesus, they need to recognize his authority over all creation. After they had seen him suffer and die under the authorities, their authorities in their world, there must have been some big looming questions in people's minds. Who is this guy that we've been following for these many, many months? He was able to heal people, and yet he couldn't save himself. He preached with authority. He made claims at divinity. He Yet he let our leaders put him to death. What was go- what's going on here? And even after he rose from the dead, I'm still some. I'm, st- I'm sure still some had questions. Do I really want to be associated with this guy? Do I want to call myself one of his followers? They put him to death. Yes, he rose from the grave, but I don't think I can do that. <laughs> And what guarantee do I have that if I continue to follow him, that it's going to be worth, worth it in the end? To the eleven disciples standing there, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is a monumental statement. It's... Easy, when we're we're reading this passage, to just kind of breeze by this and get to the, well, what does God want me to do here? Oh, Am I up for that? Okay. When we focus on that. But this is crucial for us. If we consider the Great Commission, apart from this phrase, we actually do ourselves a tremendous disfavor. Not only will we fail to comprehend the gravity of the command that he's about to give us, but will also fail to realize the limitless resources that he has to back up his disciples. Notice he says all, all authority in heaven and on earth. Christ's authority is both absolute and it's universal. During his ministry here on earth, he showed his authority over sickness and disease, over demonic forces. He showed his authority over the elements when he calmed the sea and the winds. He showed his authority over sins when he forgave the paralytic. He showed his authority over death as he raised Jairus' daughter and he raises Lazarus. He showed his authority has had authority to condemn men to eternal death or grant them eternal life. We see that in John 5.27 and then again in 17.2. He had authority to lay down his own life for the sins of others that they might live again. He had authority to rule heaven and earth and to sentence Satan and his demons to eternal punishment in the lake of fire. We see that in Revelation 20. Jesus Christ is Lord and ruler of all. And that is awesome authority. We should stand in awe of who Christ is. What an incredible thing to be followers of him, to be called his servants. Servants to the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. It was one thing to be under the authority of my dad. He'd say, boys, we got some work for you to do. We'd come outside of him. Okay, what do you want to say? We need to pull these weeds, and so we'd be out there with our tweezers pulling the weeds. <laughs> Doing it obediently because we know that Dad had authority. He could make our lives miserable. That was one thing to be under Dad's authority. When I got my first job, though, my boss was a different kind of authority. He wasn't related to me. He didn't have to love me. He didn't have to pay me. He could fire me. And so there was another level of intimidation there. When I started working at Cornerstone Bible Church over in Glendora and I got called into the pastor's office for something I didn't do, that was authority. I was scared of that man. Now he takes me to lunch and he praises me all the time, but back then, I was terrified. It's one thing to be under human authority, though. Their authority is limited. It only goes so far. But to be under the authority of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one who has ultimate authority, that's hard to even imagine, right? And I think because it's hard to imagine, often we don't imagine it, we just put it put it to the side and oh yeah, Jesus, you know, but you know, I'm doing doing stuff here. No, it's a big deal. If I were one of the disciples listening to Jesus on that day, knowing that he had risen from the dead, I mean, he showed his power, and now hearing that he has ultimate authority over all things, I would be feeling pretty small. Pretty, pretty small. Have you ever known someone who liked to push their weight around? When I say jump, you say, How high. If there's one person I would want to jump for, it would be Jesus. It would be Jesus. That's the thing that Christ's authority does for his disciples. Christ's authority, it compels us to humbly submit to and obey his will. It compels us. You remember that old Sunday school song? He's got the whole world in his hands. You remember that? He literally has the world in his hands. John 3.35 The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. What a humbling thing to know that Jesus Christ holds your future in the palm of his hand. And that's why when he gives a command, we've got to listen. <laughs> You've got to listen. If we stop for a moment and contemplate the authority of Christ, we can't help but be compelled to. To obey. But not only does it compel us, it also does something really, really uh, ministering to us. Christ's authority should give us confidence. It should give us confidence. Can you imagine standing on that mountainside after seeing Jesus suffer and die and now being told that you're going to continue on Christ's work? That's a really intimidating task. I'd be saying things like, wait a second, Jesus, I don't think I have what it takes. I can't go on making disciples for you. I mean, look at all the opposition that's out there. Look at the opposition that you face. What are they going to do to me? Look at me. I don't have what it takes. I'd probably be saying things like Moses said in front of that burning bush. I can't go back to Egypt. I I can't go make demands before Pharaoh. I, I can't even speak. Have you ever had thoughts like that running through your head? I know I have just feeling just a bit inadequate. I'm not a good public speaker. I don't like confrontations. I don't have an outgoing personality, maybe, or I'm too young, or I'm too old, or I don't have enough education. And we could go on and on and on, right? We often find ourselves hesitating to follow God's commands because our confidence is based in the wrong things and so we place our confidence in things like our personality or our strength or our looks our appearance our our finances how much education we have and all of that stuff is not the place you want to put your confidence in because all of those things are inadequate they will fail you they're passing away And I think that's why Christ reminds us that He, He has been given all authority in heaven on earth. He has absolute and total authority over all. He's conquered death and the grave. He's paid the debt that you and I owed. He's the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. And because of His authority, His disciples can carry on His mission with confidence. And not only should we have confidence because of his authority, but because of the authority that is inseparably tied to the message that he's entrusted us with. The gospel. The good news. There is authority there. The message of the cross is powerful and authoritative. God's word has shaped history. It laid the foundations of the earth. It defied the efforts of kings. It has transformed lives. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is the word of God that we have been entrusted with. It has authority this is the reason that I can get up here. Me. The, the, the ultimate shy kid who didn't want to talk to anyone, who was afraid when we pulled into a gas station as a family in our 15-passenger van, and I was in the back seat. I sat in the very, very back because I knew that Dad was going to ask one of us to go pay for the gas. And I did not want to do that, and sometimes I would hide behind the back seat because I was so scared to go talk with somebody and hand them a $10 bill. Me. I'm able to get up here and preach, not because of me, but because this is authoritative. You don't listen because Jared is is smart or wise or could speak well. I can't. But God's Word is authoritative. It is powerful. And that is why we're here, to hear from God's Word. Disciples of Jesus need to recognize His authority It compels us to go out and do what he's called us to do. But it also gives us confidence. Great, great confidence. Where is your confidence? So what does Christ command us to do? Disciples of Jesus, they need to make other disciples. Jesus said in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's important that we recognize the, the wording here, the language here. The command is not to go. Which is one of the things that I thought it was. I I, I, need, I need to go. You mean God is calling me to go? You mean I have to? Where I'm at is not good enough. I have to go somewhere else to do God's will. I don't know if I want to go somewhere else. I, God put me here. Well, the command isn't go. If you look at the Greek here, it's literally in your going or having gone. We go places. We move from place to place. We're in our homes, then we're at the store, then we're at work, and then we're at school, and then we're at Magic Mountain. We're all different places. In your going, he says, make disciples. As you live, as you do the things that you've got to do, you do them day in and day out. You go to work, you go to school, you go all those different places. Wherever you go in life, you've got to remember one very important thing. You're there to make disciples. Even as you're sitting in that classroom, I'm here to make disciples. Even as I'm at the grocery store, I'm here to make disciples. How am I going to do that? It's going to look different at school versus at the store versus at work or versus with my family. But I'm still called to make disciples, make disciples of all people. Imagine if we, uh, we got together and we were bored on a Saturday, so we went and took a tour of an oil refinery. This is really popular to do these days. It's real, real fun, and maybe we can do it next Saturday. But the tour guide, he shows us all the intricacies of this factory, the refining process. The vast catalyst chambers and the pipes and the heating vats and everything that went in to refining oil. And the tour ends and one smart guy raises, there's always that one guy that has all the questions. And I, hey, excuse me, I got a question for you. Sir, you showed us everything in the process of how you make all these vast products, from gasoline to you know, oil for your car to you know, facial creams and all these different things that oil is made into. I don't know. But one thing you haven't showed us, you haven't showed us the packaging department and how this stuff gets shipped out all over the place. You're making useful products, right? Right? And the tour guide kind of gets a little sheepish and says, well, actually, this particular plant, it doesn't have a shipping department because, you see, we, all the oil that we produce, we actually have to use it to keep our plant going. That'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? It'd be absolutely ridiculous, and yet, sadly, In our Christian lives, sometimes they look a little bit like that oil refinery. We get so preoccupied with maintaining our quality of life that we completely neglect that to which Christ has called us. We tell ourselves, we'll try to fit that task in, that task of making disciples, we'll try to fit it in when we have some extra time, but that time rarely comes Jesus didn't ask us to make disciples every now and then. He said, this is what you're to do all the time. As you go, as you go on living, at home, at work, at school, at play, make disciples, that shouldn't be just part of our lives. That should define our lives. We are Christ's disciples, and so we are disciplers. That's who we are. It's stamped on us, and we do it should be doing it all the time so what does it mean to make disciples how do we go about this great task of that jesus has given us notice he doesn't say go make converts he says go make disciples we're not called just to get people to raise their hand and pray a prayer after us are we there was a time when i thought my job was just to seal the deal and so I would, I would really push people, really push, push students back in the day. And I needed to pray the prayer, follow after me, repeat after me. And then once I did that, I just felt this, this weight of relief just be lifted off of me. And I'm like, I did it. I did it. There's another one. Check. Write it in my Bible. <laughs> but the end result, you look at these kids' lives years and years after, and too many of them look a lot like that seed that Jesus was talking about. The seed that fell along the path. Fell along the path. They heard the word of God, but didn't completely understand it. And so it was just snatched away. The call that Jesus gives us is far bigger than just getting someone to repeat after me, to sign on the dotted line. We're not insurance salespeople here. That's not what we are called to do. We're called to disciple. And that word disciple, its root meaning refers to both believing and learning. Jesus wasn't saying go recruit believers or just go recruit Learners, making disciples is about leading people to faith in Jesus and then walking beside them through life, through all those challenges and joys that life brings, that their faith might 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 grow and mature. He wants people who truly place their trust in him and are continually learning and growing finding out what it means to follow him finding out what it means to obey him that means our task involves a couple different things one we need to be proclaiming the gospel proclaiming the gospel calling people to faith in Jesus Christ we need to be telling them of the great their great need for forgiveness we need to be telling sharing with them Romans 323 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God we need to be p- pointing to, them to Romans 6 23. The wages of sin is death. Yes, all have sinned. That includes you. And you are deserving. Here is your prize for sinning it's death. We need to be pointing them to the hope in Romans 5 8 that because of God's great love for us, He sent Jesus Christ while we were still sinners to make that payment for us to die on a cross. 1 Corinthians 15.3, we need to tell people that he was buried. But he proved that he was God. And that he accomplished what he came to accomplish when he rose from the dead. We need to go to Romans 10.8 and 9. Tell them, if you place your trust in Jesus and what he did for you on that cross, you will be saved. This is good, good news. And we are the keepers of it, like the keeper of the flame. This is our call, and we're not called to keep it here. We're to throw it out there everywhere we go, making disciples. What an incredible, powerful, and authoritative message the gospel is, and what an awesome privilege it is for us to be able to share it. Some of the greatest moments of my life is, have been when I've had a chance to sit down with somebody. And usually it's just over over breakfast, over dinner, over just some over going somewhere and we're just having a conversation and there's a, a little open window that appears to share God, the gospel, to point people to Jesus. Some of the greatest moments in my life have been when I've had a chance to share it. It's amazing when... You see someone grab hold of it, and they make it their own. But oh, what a privilege it is just to to be able to throw it out there, to sprinkle the gospel all over the place, and just trust that God's going to use it. His word doesn't return void, he says. But there's more to making disciples than just leading people to Christ. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We don't lead them and leave them, We walk with them, and we're called to bring them in. We need to be baptizing Christians. The baptism that Jesus is talking about here, it's a little different than the baptism that John the Baptist was doing. John the Baptist's baptism was all about one turning from sin and turning to God and they confess their sin, and they're baptized in the Jordan River. That's the way it worked. The baptism Jesus instituted was one in which the believer is actually outwardly identifying with Christ and saying, Christ is now in me. I've been crucified with him. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It says something so much more than, than about just me deciding I'm turning from my sin and I, I'm turning to God. It's about, no, my actual life has been dead and buried. It was crucified with Jesus. Romans 6.3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Through baptism, believers make a declaration. They publicly proclaim, my old life, it's gone. Jesus is my life now. Their faith, it's not something secret it's not like they, they went out and just kind of quietly took out an insurance policy, you know, just in case someday. No, 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 this is something to be public. I want to openly share this reality uh, that is now live inside of me. It's the way that new believers, they declare to the rest of the, the people of God, I'm one of you. And in, and in so doing, they become part of the body of Christ. When we had that baptism just a few weeks ago, and we had Salida and Adam and Aaron, they got in that baptism and, and they were announcing to you that all of you, you trust in Jesus, right? I want you to know I trust in Jesus too. And this is what I'm going to do to show you. I'm getting in this, this awkward position and I'm wearing shorts in church. This doesn't seem right. And now I'm in water, and you're in chairs looking at me, and I'm going to go in all the way. That's so that you know my old life is dead. When I come up, I want it to send a clear message to all of you. Jesus is my life. He's my life, just like he is your life. And they're brought in to our fellowship. And we can now hold them accountable. We can, we can say, you know, weeks, go, weeks and weeks go by and we see Aaron over here. And Hey, Aaron, I need to talk to you because where you're going, man, it's not looking good. Or, hey, brother, I just, I just want you to know, you're one of us. I'm praying for you. I care for you. You're a part of this body. You're part of the family. We are brother and sister here. That's good. It's so good. So when Jesus commands us to baptize disciples, he's telling us, in a way, to connect them with the body of Christ. As they stand before everyone, they're testifying to their faith. They're part of that family. Our call to make disciples, it goes beyond leading to them, them to faith or to bring them in and connect them through baptism. But there's more. He says, teaching them, doesn't he? We need to be teaching them to obey everything that Christ commanded. In John 14:23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. It makes sense that if we're going to obey Jesus teaching, we need to be taught, don't we? Just like you don't grow up to be a doctor, you don't grow up to be a lawyer. Without instruction, so disciples of Christ need that instruction. And this is part of our call to make disciples, to walk with people. That's one of the beautiful things about our church. It is a church that stands by people. It embraces them. The fellowship part of our name, I see that here. And I've talked with people and I've asked them, why why are you at this church? And they say, well, let me tell you. A friend of mine, they, they called me, uh, and they knew that I was a, a new believer, and they said, hey, you need to come check out our, our men's group. You need to come to Iron Men. And I came to Iron Men, and uh, I actually had a lot of stuff going on in my life, some really, really heavy stuff, and, and I, sh- I shared some of that. And I had men in this church at Bethany years and years ago say, I will walk with you. And they met with me. And we read God's word together, and I have grown, and now I'm doing that for others. I'm making disciples. Discipleship is happening here, and it is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. We're here because we love the Bible. That's another thing that's been pointed out to me. It's Bethany Bible Fellowship. It's right in the center of our name. It's in a place of prominence because we love God's word, and this is what we're all about. This is what we are trying, we're trying to align our lives with, and it is wonderful. I love that about our church. But you know, it's great that our church is about God's word, and it's great that our church is about teaching The Bible, but we need to realize that teaching the Bible isn't just something that pastors or guys like Dave McIntosh or Charlie or so many other teachers here. It's not just stuff that they need to be doing. We are all called to make disciples and we are all called to use this to help teach others what it means to be a disciple of Christ. We all need to grow into maturity We're called, all of us, to reach people with the gospel. We're called, all of us, to bring people into the church. You know, as we did that baptism, you were as much a part of it as those three people in the water, or as me, because you, the church, were sitting there affirming them. We're all called to be a part of this bringing people in, and we are all called to teach them to obey everything that Christ commanded. And like we said earlier, It's easy to make excuses, isn't it? Easy to come up with all kinds of reasons in order to justify why I don't do this or I don't do that. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. I'm an introvert. I'm too young. I'm too old. One of my personal favorites, and I've been told this many times, not here yet. These are some of the saddest words I've heard. I've done my time. Let's have the young people have a turn. But Jesus doesn't give room for any of these excuses. He doesn't say, as long as you're old enough to vote, or as long as you are not retired, or as long as you have an outgoing personality, or as long as you have a college degree. He doesn't say any of those things. He doesn't even say, as long as you're healthy. He just says, go make disciples. Wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, Whatever your personality, your ability, your resources, make disciples. Baptize them and teach them. Bring them into the church and help them grow. Disciples, disciples of Jesus, they need to be disciplers. And finally, he tells us something very important. He says, behold, I'm with you always. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Disciples of Jesus need to remember He's always with them. This isn't an easy task we've been called to, but we've got to remember, we're not doing it alone. We have the One who has all authority in heaven and on earth, and He is with us. He is there helping us, assuring us, comforting us, equipping us and empowering us. He's not just with us when we're at church, or when we're feeling positive or spiritual, or when we're at the top of our game, game, or when we're healthy. He's with us always to the end of the age. Until that time, disciples need to be making disciples, and we can be sure that He is with us. So let's be on that mission. Let's be making disciples. You know, in my days of ministry, some of the most powerful witnesses to the hope that they have in Jesus Christ have not been the able-bodied. It's not been the financially well-off. It's not those who are young and vigorous. It's often been those who were laying in hospital beds and those who were restricted to wheelchairs. In my first church where I served, I was a junior high uh, pastor there, and we had a volunteer, a guy named Joe. Joe was in a wheelchair, one of those cool power ones. It actually had flames on the side, so we thought he was cool. But Joe had muscular dystrophy. His body was wasted away. All his muscles were completely atrophied. His face was sunken in. He could barely speak. He could kind of move that little joystick and get around. And every Wednesday night, he would roll all the way across town to come to our little church. And B, with high school students and junior high students. Just be there with them. He couldn't sing the songs. He couldn't even give high fives. And yet, when those kids saw him roll up onto that campus, they saw the love of Jesus in a way that none of us other leaders could show it. It was awesome. Joe was making disciples. He couldn't do much, but he could be there. Some people would do anything to be able to do nothing. If we truly believe that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, he's now seated in glory as the victorious, authoritative Lord of all. We can't be people who do nothing. Let's be the people that Christ has called us to be. Let's be disciples who are in the business of making disciples. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are, we are so grateful that you have... Shown mercy to us and have called us to yourself. You've opened our eyes to our need for you, Lord. You've poured out grace upon grace on us as we've confessed our sins to you and drawn our eyes to the cross of Jesus Christ and trusted in him. We are now yours and we've been brought into this wonderful, beautiful family that you have created. And we have an incredible hope in you, Lord. And we have an incredible mission. Lord, help us to take that seriously. Help us to each and every day of our lives, every word that comes out of our mouth, every thought that's in our brain, to be about the business of making disciples. Lord, we are followers of Jesus Christ, and Jesus gave His life so that some might know Him. Some might be saved. And as followers of Him, Lord, we have that same calling, that same mission. Lord, help us to give of ourselves as Christ gave. To give it all freely, completely, joyfully for the sake of more coming to know you. Help us to be fishers of men. Help us to be disciples who make disciples. We love you, Lord. Thank you for that mission. Thank you for the resources to do it. Thank you for the privilege it is to serve and to be spent for your glory and the good of others. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.